Welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast, Kevin and Gordon with you today, and we're joined by the throws coach at Virginia Tech, Andrew Dubs. He complete, competed collegiately at UConn and has been part of the alumni group there trying to save the track and cross-country programs. Andrew, we just saw yesterday that the school decided to cut four sports yesterday, including men's cross-country, but track was spared. How was that decision received amongst your group of alums? Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on today, guys. Um, listen to you pretty, pretty frequently. Uh, yesterday, uh, overall, you know, I think we're looking at it as a win um, to, to save the sport of track and field at UConn. Um, that meant a lot to a lot of people. Uh, the opportunity to come together as alumni over the last month and do what we've done. It was pretty remarkable. Um, obviously, it would have been ideal to save the entire program, cross-country as well. Um, but to completely save the women's program, have the men's track and field program be saved, um, it, it was overall a successful day. And I think the way that things were left with cross-country, it uh, you know I think there's hope for future reinstatement uh, down the road. Can you take us back about a month what you heard about the state of the programs and how we got to where we are today? Yeah, so there were, there were a couple articles written, uh, Sports Illustrated articles, an article in the local Hartford Current up there um, near stores, and um, just kind of putting pieces together. And I was talking with one of my other alumni who's actually an assistant coach up there as well, Musicano. Uh, he was one of my roommates when we were in school together. And we were just talking and I said, Moose, we have to do something. And uh, we started texting some alumni that we were on the team with. And within about an hour, we got 51 people on a Zoom call. And we just said, guys, we need money and we need it fast. And it just spiraled from there. It was incredible. Um, we raised about $27,000 by the end of that call. About an hour or so after the call, I had called head coach Greg Roy and said, coach, here's $27,000. I'm not sure what it'll do. Um, <laughs> and I think his wife was in the background. She started crying, just the fact that the alumni would come together like that. And um, over the course of the next 10 days, uh, we raised $1.6 million across about 240 alumni that pledged. And um, more importantly than that, I think we just raised awareness within the alumni of the UConn track and field program, our ability to come together, um, show our love for the sport, for the university, um, and, and to basically show the university that, look, we want to work together in partnership with you to, you know, make this program sustainable moving forward. Um, and I think that that's what we were able to accomplish. Andrew Gordon here. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. Uh, what, like when these athletic departments are thinking about cutting programs, um, how influential is raising money from alumni? Like, was there a number where it's like, if we hit this number, there's no way they would cut us? Or was it more than just raising money? Like, did they tell you, hey, go out there, raise money, and, and you'll be safe? Like, what was the kind of the reason for raising the money? And was it like assumed that if we do this, we're going to be saved for the most part nothing was assumed from the beginning uh i even though i work in college athletics now and i've been at a few schools i went into this pretty blind 
and just with the love and the passion that I have for the University of Connecticut track and field and cross country program. Um, I'd asked Coach Roy early on, is there a certain dollar figure that if we get to program safe or are we fighting an uphill battle that just doesn't matter and, and it's going to be cut either way? Um, and there weren't too many answers. Uh, you know, I was in communication with him more probably in the last month than I had been in the last 15 years um, <laughs> just because it was so rapid. But um, th it was kind of us just swinging a little bit blind. Uh, we were able to raise what we, we did. And each university, each situation, there's obviously, unfortunately, been some other universities that have, that have gone through similar circumstances. Uh, they're all different uh, for different reasons, uh, whether it's COVID related, whether it's just been coming for a long time. Um, nothing is the same. And so we didn't really know what we were working with. We had kind of assumed... Uh, based off reading some of those articles, that money was a big factor here. Uh, so that was our number one goal was just to try to raise as much as we could, as fast as we could. Um, but it was fairly blind. But I think the way we went about it, I feel like we did it the right way. Uh, we stayed positive. We raised this money privately amongst ourselves, just with the alumni. Um, and it was great to see the support. Uh, at the end of the day, um, Obviously, cross country was eliminated, uh, and I think I think there were a lot of things that went into that. Still, some of the picture is unclear, um, but hopefully, in time, some answers we, we get some answers for that, and, and we're able to help reinstate the program. But uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't quite have a dollar figure in mind, and I think our initial goal when we started after getting that twenty seven thousand was all right. Let's see if we can get a hundred thousand. Uh, there's there's no way in the world I would have thought. 10 days later, we'd get to 1.6 million. Uh, that was just uh, re remarkable with what we were able to accomplish amongst the alumni. How, I mean, is it hard to sell to alumni to, to donate? I mean, I get calls all the time from my alumni to give me ask for money and I just hang up because <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, we're all used to those, those cold calls that freshmen from the college right. we went to are calling asking for money. Um, what was it hard to sell to people to like, Hey, uh, this is important. Not really. I mean, the, the alumni base within our track and field program, it's a family. Uh, and it's that, that has been more evident in the last month than ever before, even though it was known, um, guys that maybe, and women that maybe you haven't talked with since graduation, pick up the phone, call them, catch up and then say, Hey, what can you do to help? Uh, whether it was $10 or whether it was, hey, I can't afford it right now with all that's going on, but I can help spread the word and make phone calls and, um, you know, help with planning or uh, just give their time. Uh, everything that went into it helped. Uh, and and it, it really was remarkable. So I don't think it was very hard. Um, it also made it a little easier because everyone knew everyone. We're all, we're all connected in some way, shape or form. So to pick up and call some old friends, call teammates, um, you know, we knew the people that we were talking to. So they weren't complete cold calls. Uh, I'd, I would imagine that that's a little bit more difficult, you know, working at a foundation and just calling random alumni. That might be a little more difficult. But calling people that you had a common bond with, that you experienced highs and lows with, you were on a team with for four or five years. Um, and the, the, just the, the tradition and the family that is UConn Track and Field or any program out there. Um, 
it kind of was a little nerve wracking because I had no clue what I was doing at first. I had never been involved in a fundraising effort or a campaign of this sort. But once you kind of started going, it just became routine and felt really comfortable uh, talking. And it was exciting to talk to some, some old teammates that I haven't talked to in a while. And even beyond that, I mean, we got back, we, we collected some some uh, pledges and donations from alums dating back to the 70s. Um, so it was really unique, just the smaller inner group that was formed to really help lead this effort. Had people from my era, had people that graduated two years ago, had, had somebody that graduated from the 80s. So it was a wide range that just, you know, you almost feel like at this point, I've known some of these people for a month, feels like I've known them my whole life. Um, so it, it was a little nerve wracking and a lot of unknowns in the beginning, but very quickly it just became smooth and easy. And um, it was fun to kind of reconnect with some people. Raising the amount that you did over a million dollars, can you put that into context with what an operating budget costs for a cross-country team or a, a track and field team? You're at Virginia Tech now, but you've been at a bunch of different schools from a variety of different conferences. What sort of numbers does it cost to, to put a team out there? Uh, there's a wide range, uh, depending on you know whether you're here at Virginia Tech, whether you're, you're at UConn or um, you know, somewhere in the SEC or, or the Big 12. It just ranges. It depends on the program, depends on the university. Um, so it, there's no set number uh, amongst schools. It, it just ranges. Um, but the, I will say, in general terms, the three biggest categories for funding on a yearly basis within the, a program, any program, really, any sport, are your scholarship allotments, the value of the scholarships, uh, second area would be the coaching salaries and benefits. And a third area, in no particular order, would be the um, annual operating budget, travel, equipment, apparel, uh, things like that. So uh, those are the three big categories within a, a sports program in, in, on the collegiate setting. And, um, you know, th those were things that we were aware of with what we were doing. We were aware of the numbers for UConn specifically. Um, so we, we, once we got things rolling, we set a goal that we thought was attainable and, um, or it would be hard, but we thought was possibly attainable and, uh, mm -hmm. we, we were able to get there. Mm -hmm. How unique is, is UConn? I saw in the press release, the university said that financial cutbacks were in the works before the pandemic. They obviously mm -hmm. have the highest profile women's basketball team in the entire country. The men's basketball program has been very successful. The, the football team, not as successful. How, how common is their financial situation with regards to athletics in your understanding? Um, I mean, what's public knowledge is what I know. Uh, last year in the 2018, 2019 academic um, fiscal year, they had, I believe they served a $42.3 million deficit um, they had expenses a little over 80 million, um, and they brought in revenues around 38, a little over 38 million. So those were the numbers that UConn's working with. Um, as a result, uh, like you had said, this was not directly COVID related. I'm sure in parts it, it played a role. Um, but the university had asked the athletic department to cut back $10 million in spending 
uh, by the 2023 <laughs> fiscal year. And as a result, um, you know, putting two and two together, there's a lot that's going to go into that 10 million. And, and you can kind of assume that it was going to be some, the possibility of cutting some programs, unfortunately. And, um, you know, that that's the, specifically where UConn was at and other schools probably in similar boats, maybe their dollar figures were different, but similar situations across the country. From, from the outside perspective, especially in the track community, we're like track is the simplest sport there is. It doesn't cost much money to run track. You know, you just put mm. shoes on, put on, p- pick up a weight and you're done, right? There's not like, you don't need state of the art, like high tech bubbles and all this not craziness, right? Uh, yeah. If track is so cheap, why is it always the first one to cut for budget reasons? Uh, not to correct you, but I will say as a student athlete, um, I thought that exact same way. Um, and then as I got older and started being involved in athletics and now as a coach, I uh, realized that that's not the case. Um, there's a lot behind the scenes in terms of financial costs that the general public or a student athlete might not see. Um, and that's to be expected, but track and field can get expensive and it can get expensive quickly. Um, you know, you're looking at equipment, if it's for a facility, maybe you're getting a new pole vault or a high jump pit, um, or some new throwing equipment. Um, so it does go beyond just shoes and some, some gear. Um, even though that is the foundation of the sport. Um, and the concept of the sport is quite simple, run fast, throw far, jump high, jump far. Um, but the foundation of it to get to that point can add up. Uh, and it can add up because the roster sizes, roster sizes that a lot of programs are 50, 60 student athletes per gender. Uh, so in total, you're looking at 120 to 130. I was talking with a coach yesterday, their combined roster men and women is over 130. Um, uh, here at Virginia Tech, we're around 90. So there's ranges. I know programs that are around 70. So it ranges from, you know, 70 up to 130 or 140 and more. Um, and each of those student athletes, you know, they, they have their individual needs, uh, whether it's medical or, or uh, equipment for their events. Uh, so you, you multiply that by 130 people and it, it can add up on an annual basis. So I think that is in part why some of these programs um, – end up being the scapegoat to, to be outed or eliminated. Um, and there's also obviously participation numbers uh, and gender equity that, that it's such a large number of student athletes and participants that when you're trying to maybe, you know, fix some of those numbers or fall in line with certain things that um, it becomes an area that has extra roster spots that there's room to, to to maneuver and manipulate a little bit. So it, it's a lot more complex than I initially thought prior to getting into coaching. Um, but now looking at it from this side, uh, it's certainly understandable with some of these situations. Looking at how it seems like every college is operating with the deficit. Like they know everyone is spending a lot of money. They're making a lot of money, but they're also spending even more money year in, year out. And that's why we keep on getting into these situations I I said facetious facetiously. Well, not to say it right. <laughs> keep trying. I don't know. I'll keep trying one day. Uh, I, I know. The, like the 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 pure like uh, athletic department is having a football team, a basketball team, 
and then women's athlete programs to match all the football players and male basketball players because that's like your two revenue drivers in your two main sports and then gender equity mm -hmm. by just having like that's what every athletic director's dream would be is just only having the sports that make money and then balancing it out um do you feel like that's always like a battle that these olympic sports in, in our world track and field have to deal with knowing that our sport isn't really ever going to be a cash cow? Uh, I think sometimes that, that could be the case. I think a lot of athletic directors, I remember, I I'll, won't say the school, but there was a school several years ago that made a, a big time hire and a new head coach and um, we're building a new facility. And I remember reading the press release and the athletic director had come out and said, um, track and field and cross country is six spots towards the director's cup. Why would we not invest in that area? Um, and that really stuck with me and it made a lot of sense. So yes, dollars and numbers are the foundation for college athletics. Without it, there is not college athletics because there's no way to operate. Um, and football is a, is a huge aspect of that. Um, there's no question, but it does go beyond that. And, and it's exciting to see that being recognized. And I think that is what has contributed to a lot of growth in the sport of track and field. I mean, ever, as far as I can remember since reading that article, uh, maybe six or seven years ago, the way the sport has grown, it was, more people saw that article than I did. And I think that it, 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 there was a positive response to it. And you know, the, what it means to be able to contribute to the Director's Cup means a lot to athletic administrations. Um, you know, we're bait, we're judged as coaches on winning and losing and the success of our athletes um, at the conference and national levels or Olympic level beyond and beyond. Athletic administrations are judged on the balance of their budget and the success of the department as a whole. And I think that that, that is being recognized and um, track and field is taking the advantage that they're being given with that opportunity to be successful. And there are a lot of, well, I'm blessed here at Virginia Tech uh, that we have a great athletic director and Whit Babcock that we have, and he, he cares about our sport and he invests in it. We have a tremendous head coach who allows each of us as assistants to be successful in our event areas uh, with what we need and whether it's competitions or equipment. Um, so there is a tremendous sports support system here, um, even within our sport oversight, uh, Chris Helms, that track and field has that I'm seeing here. Um, and I've seen it at other programs. And I think that that is gonna be something COVID, COVID aside and once we get through that, but that's gonna be something that's gonna to continue to grow our, help grow our sport um, because of the value of what track and field and cross country brings to an administration and a department. Going back to the, the fundraising number, where does that money go? Because we hear about programs raising money, maybe not as much money and as quickly as you guys were able to do it, but how does that, then impact the program like where do you you go and you hand the the head coach a big giant novelty check like what what's the next step after raising the money because that is a large sum within our our world of track and field and cross country well the way we did it at first it was i had literally made an email account uconntfxc at gmail.com and uh just was telling people <laughs> hey send in pledges and i started putting them on an excel database midway through the week, maybe four or five days in, um, it got to the point where, okay, this was growing and escalating faster than anybody would have thought. 
So we started getting help from the Yukon Foundation, which was tremendous. Um, so they kind of took over control of that. And at, at this point, or at that point, it was simply just pledges. Uh, nobody actually had given money. It was a commitment to pledge, uh, barring the successful re retainment of the program. Um, so now that we're at to the point where we're at, uh, we feel pretty confident that the vast majority, if not all of those pledges will be retained. So now the Yukon Foundation will reach out over the coming weeks uh, formally mm -hmm. and begin the collection process uh, of that of that money. Mm -hmm. and, and, oh, and to answer your question, so it'll be it'll be designate, um, designated specifically to the track and field program. That's where every, we had asked people if they're interested to to designate it for those programs. So we know it specifically goes to the track and field and cross country programs. And when programs get cut, that means coaching jobs get cut as well too. What is the feeling amongst your colleagues throughout the country as as this period goes on where there is a, a lot of uncertainty around NCAA athletics? There's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of questions and, and fear of, is my program next? Is Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to have a be furloughed? Am I going to have a salary reduction? Yeah, I, I don't think I've talked with anybody in the last four months that hasn't had those questions um, that have been involved in college athletics, whether it was an administrator or a coach of any sport. Um, so yeah, those are serious concerns and questions that people have that a lot of it's unknown right now. Um, you know, things are changing daily with the landscape of uh, COVID-19, which is changing daily in the landscape of college athletics. So a um, lot of unknowns. Uh, we just kind of have to take it day by day and, and see where things go. Andrew, I need, I need some, I need a pick me up. I need some, I need you to give me some good news. You're in the midst of, you're in, you're inside of a college department, athletic department. Are we going to have college sports in the fall? We gonna do it? What, what's the talk? What's the talking side going on right now? Give me, give me some good news. I'm, I'm praying and hoping every night before I go to bed and every morning I wake up that that's the case. Um, but there's no definitive answer at this point for anything. Uh, I know people are planning and hoping to have fall sports, uh, whether it's football or cross country or soccer or, or whatever. Um, that's the hope. That's the goal. Uh, I know a lot of, here at Virginia Tech that they've started bringing back some programs and some student athletes that are here in, for the summer, um, and a lot of uh, medical procedures and protocols are being put in place. And everyone here seems to be um, following those and responding and sticking to them pretty pretty well. So um, hopefully that's the case across the country, and hopefully we can continue in the fall with fall sports. Um, but certainly at the safety of everybody first. Uh, I don't think, and I haven't talked to anybody that says we're just gonna go out there regardless. Uh, so I know safety is number one priority for all student athletes and coaches and staffs. And, um, so yeah, I can't give you the definitive answer there, but uh, you know, I'll say I feel hopeful uh, if, if these procedures and protocols can continue to be positive and the outcomes can continue to be positive. I think, I think there's, a, there's hope for the fall. So hope. I, 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 you, said, you said the word hope. I, I'll hold on to that hope. There you go. <laughs> Appreciate it. What we've, we've talked a lot about the fall and, and cross country, and obviously that's going to be impacted greatly by, by the state of the pandemic. But 
come winter and spring, if that's behind us and the main thing facing us is more on the financial side of things, how will f- fans see the impact of that? Will there be fewer teams traveling to meets in far-flung states? How do you see the, the new financial landscape impacting, let's just say, outdoor track for next year? I mean, as we sit here, it was June 25th. I know a lot of departments haven't even set their budgets yet, which I've, most of them begin on July 1, uh, because there's just so many unknowns. Um, so it's a it's different time for all of us, whether it's an individual program in track and field or a football program or the department. Um, I do know that as a, as a more conservative approach, a lot of teams in the sport of track and field are planning for a more regional travel schedule, um, you know, still going to some meets where you're getting on a plane. But uh, here at Virginia Tech, we're, we've kind of set two, two schedules um, amongst ourselves, one that's a little more regional, regional and one where we might have a more normal schedule uh, where we're maybe flying once in a while to, you know, Texas or California or Florida. So we, we kind of have hope and uh, plans for both. Um, and we just have to wait and see you know, whatever the, that financial situation ends up being. And, uh, but we'll, at the end of the day, we here at Virginia Tech and people at UConn or any program out there, you know, whatever ends up being their financial situation, um, you know, they'll plan accordingly and, and they'll adapt. And that's what track and field coaches do best, I think, is we adapt to whatever we're given. No, no race goes according to plan. No, no competition goes according to plan. You're changing things in the third or fourth round or changing your tactics mid-race. So that's what we do best is we adapt and we'll continue to do that uh, regardless of what the financial situation is. Mm-hmm. What What is the part that is the most ripe for cutting? What What's the What's the thing that as a, as a throws coach you could give up and it would have the least amount of, of impact on the experience of, of your team, of, of the group that you coach? Well, at the end of the day, it tracks 400 meters, a uh, shot put circle seven feet in diameter, uh, no matter where you go. So um, just, get, you know, the mentality almost has to be, give me a ring, give me a track, give me a runway, and I'll take care of the rest. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, if we had to adapt to a regional schedule where we're maybe only getting on a bus and driving for us to, to, to Charlottesville or, or Durham or Chapel Hill, then, you know, that's what we'll do and, and we'll make the best of it. And, and I feel that we can still be successful. Um, that's the mentality that we tell our, our student athletes is just, hey, you got to be resilient. You have to be able to adapt. Uh, for my student athletes in the throws, I you could foul the first two throws. You still have to be able to come back in the third throw and make the final or uh, come back in the sixth round and hit a final throw to move up in, in ranking. So, you know, that's what we teach on a daily basis. Uh, and we just have to be able to do that. So whether it's a home meet or whether we're flying, getting on a plane and flying somewhere, um, just give me a runway, give me a circle, give me a track and, and we'll make it work. Andrew, what would be advice you'd give to other alumni out there for other programs who might see some writing on the wall that we could be next to how to, I mean, what you pulled off, you know, some could say it's like a miracle, right? it would have been, I think if you just would have stayed quiet, put your hands and just see what happens, we could seeing not just men's cross country being cut, but men's track and field indoor, outdoor, maybe one of the women's seasons being cut. Um, what would you say to other 
potential cut victims out there how they can save their program? I'm glad you asked that. First of all, it takes a community. There's no way one person can do all this. Um, I, I couldn't even tell you how many alumni stepped up for us. Um, like I said, there's a, a group chat that we've started that's a smaller group of about 30 individuals. Um, but at the end of the day, hundreds of alumni stepped up. So number one, my, my advice would be just start spreading the word. If you feel that your program's gonna get into a similar position, um, you know, rally your alumni, spread the word, build a, you know, start planning and, and depending on your situation, whether it's fundraising or, or maybe going through meetings, whatever the case may be, um, number one and first and foremost, it's gonna take a big group of people to do it. And um, that's what we've been blessed with here at the University of Connecticut with our alumni association to, to just, it's a family. And I think a lot of track and field programs and cross country programs feel the same way with their teams and with their alumni. So um, the benefit that we have in our sport is that we're large. Um, the, the UConn track and field alumni uh, are about 1,500 individuals, uh, and I'd imagine a lot of programs are the same. And that's what we have to our advantage. So use that to your advantage. Um, the larger the number, the more people you have, the better, whether it's writing stories on what your experience meant at your school um, and um, just rallying together. Uh, and then the second thing I would just say is stay positive. You know, there's going to be days where you're like, oh, man, we didn't raise as much money today or, hey, maybe we had a meeting and the news was bad. Um, but just stay positive and keep moving, moving forward with what your efforts are. And um, at the end of the day, you'll be able to know that you did all you could and your alumni did all you could. And, um, you know, you have to live with the results, good or bad. And if they're bad, you try to regroup and move forward and see if there's a way to reinstate a program moving forward or in the future or whatever the case may be. Would you say that because UConn kind of gave a heads up that this is coming, it helped? Because I feel like a lot of these other programs, the, the, the announcement of the cut is kind of like, wait, what? We didn't know this was happening. Uh, and then there, everyone's kind of scrambling. Um, would mm -hmm. you say it was helpful that UConn was a little more transparent in this situation? Um. I would say the transparency more so, or at least when I, I first became aware, was reading an article in the Hartford Current, uh, and then maybe it was a few days later or the following week, the article in Sports Illustrated came out, and I was already in constant communication with Coach Chicano and Musicano up there just because we're friends, and so him and I started talking, but I, I so that's where I kind of learned about it, um, and as far as the transparency from the department, it was you know, Coach Roy had had asked questions and he was told that everything's on the table, um, which is, you know, the appropriate response, I believe. You don't want to say too much as an administrator too early. Um, but the fact that he was told everything and anything is on the table, that was all we needed to hear to just continue with our efforts and go full steam ahead and, until we were told to stop. And um, we have not been told to stop yet, so we're going to keep going. <laughs> Did other sports at UConn, did they organize as quickly as you guys did? Um, I don't know a direct answer to that. I, I will say that I know that the men's golf team raised quite a bit of money. Um, and I believe some other sports raised some money as well. I don't know the details of that. But, um, yeah, I, I from the looks of things, it looks like some programs did, did similar to what we had done. And one more and then – 
we'll let you go. You said you're optimistic about reinstatement in the future for men's cross country. What gives you that optimism? Uh, probably just my own intuition. I, I think that, you know, there's been some conversations even yesterday after the announcement was made. Uh, and I know that the coaching staff is still working to try to gather the information on exactly why cross country, uh, was chosen to be cut. Um, so once they can, you know, finish gathering that information and have a chance to sit back and look at it and, um, kind of see, see what directions and what possibilities exist, um, a more fluid plan will potentially be put in place. But, um, from the sounds of things and the looks of things right now, um, it, we feel hopeful that in the future, and I don't know if that's tomorrow or five years from now, but at some point in the future, cross country could be possibly reinstated. Andrew, Andrew thank we, you so much. Oh, well, sorry, go ahead. Gordon. I was going to say one thing. Uh, you, you raised $1.6 million in, in 10 days. Are they going to be putting a statue or a plaque of you next to the shot put ring somewhere on the UConn home track? <laughs> well, I wouldn't. Name I the wouldn't, ring I'll after be the him. First to say, yeah, right. Uh, the I'll be the first yeah. to say I did not raise $1.6 I mean, I can't reiterate enough that this was a group effort, and that's what I was trying to say for other programs out there that. You know, there's there's no way one person can do it. But, um, you know, I'm just happy that I was, I've was i been able to get back. I remember Coach Roy, he has been there for 35 years, that when I was in school, he used to tell people, hey, um, you know, whatever scholarship you're on, you know the expectation, right? I said, what are, you, what are you referring to? And he would say, well, however much money of a scholarship you're on, you have to be able to donate throughout the course of your life back to the program. So I, <laughs> I called him the other day and I said, hey, I think I've checked that box. So, so uh <laughs> I think a lot of alums have checked that box. Uh, so, so that's where we're at. And, and that's kind of, we're just happy that the track and field program is going to continue and, and the, you know, there's hope for cross country. So I'm good with that. As long as those programs are up and running, I don't care whose name gets put on it. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. We should add fundraising extraordinaire next to your title as throws coach. I think that that could be updated on your LinkedIn bio pretty soon. Uh, Andrew Dubs. <laughs> We uh, we appreciate your time. Congrats on your group's efforts and, and good luck this year. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it uh, letting us you know tell our story uh, and uh, helping us spread the word. So hopefully this can help some programs in the future if they're if they get into this position. You got it. Thanks, guys.